The scripture is Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, found on page 812 of the Pew Bible. And Betty told me to give you a chance to find it. I think it's more, if you're like me, to find your glasses. So we'll wait a little bit. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? That he has also ascended, descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part of part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dave. Don't turn it Maybe. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Well, uh, if you've been with us over these last couple of weeks, you'll know that we're nearing the end of our introductory workout session as the body of Christ. Thanks to the guidance given to us by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, I don't know if you notice, but I do, that there's not as much stiffness in the joints of our community. Through word and through spirit, we've been limbered up. And I want to reflect back to you what I'm hearing within our community. I want to reflect back to you that I'm noticing that people as a whole at Grace are discovering their increased flexibility. People in our church are beginning to discover new muscles they didn't even know they had as a part of the kingdom, as a part of, of being a disciple of Christ. There is just some incredible conversations as people are talking and are excited. They're beginning to see things and understand things in ways that kind of brings things together. And our reach as a result is getting wider. The potential for our reach is getting wider as a church. Where once perhaps we were still stuck, maybe limited by a, an understanding of our fellowship being divided into two groups, the professionals and the lay people, the performers and the spectators, we've now realized it's not two roles and not, and not even those two roles, but it's five. And if we could have the slides, that would be fantastic. The five dimensions... We are by which we are conformed to the image of Christ of what we've been looking at these last few weeks. They're up on the screen. These are the ways in which we are perfected into who we were created to be by our Heavenly Father. All five of these roles, Jesus was perfect. This represents the fullness of Christ. And what we've learned over these last couple of weeks is that when we look at this, it's not just one of these things that we're, that we're gifted in. It's not one of these things that we're called to as a role, but all five 
not by our own strength and resources, but by the authority and power of the Holy Spirit, which we've just celebrated, that begins at baptism, through the remainder of our lives, we're grown into all that Christ is. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. We all, in looking at this, discover a base ministry, something that's our bread and butter, our core. But throughout the seasons, the phases of our lives, different relationships, out of that core ministry, God also grows us in the other four. There are notes in your bulletin. They've been there every week. And I encourage you, if you haven't, to take the inventory to discover, to start to just even explore what your base ministry might be, to think about where those phases have come in your life. But as we've understood, this is not one apart from four, the other five. It's all five working interdependently, complementary to each other, all five needed together in the life of an individual, but also in the body of Christ. And we've just been unpacking them over the last couple of weeks so that we can break some of the stereotypes so we can broaden our thinking and see the application of these roles, not just within the church. That is so key, too. It's not just about our role at grace. These roles, this fullness of Christ is applicable to our lives in the world, how we represent the kingdom everywhere. So like I said, we have looked at pastor, we've looked at, excuse me, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. And this week we come to, oops, turn it on, that would help. The teacher. And just again, if you haven't been with us, a quick review. The role of the apostle for us as a, as a core ministry or a phase, it's the, the apostle role is those who are sent, those who are pioneers, those who are entrepreneurs who anticipate where God is headed next, who go out into the undiscovered country and who lead us to places that we wouldn't otherwise even think about, let alone go. The prophet the role of a prophet, again, breaking the stereotype of it being this eerie, creepy, you know, divisive thing. It's actually a very healing and reconciling and, and a huge part of our wholeness as the body is the role of the prophet is the listening to God, being continually attentive to how is God speaking in the present moment in the midst of all the other noise, whether it's the noise of distraction or the noise of our own brilliance, how is God speaking in the present moment? Prophets help to bring that out. How is God speaking in terms of the future? What vision is he casting for the future? A vital role in the life of the church. The evangelist, the one who recruits, the one who rallies people, not people who are already here, but people who don't know, who have not heard. The, the, the evangelist recruits because the evangelist first and foremost understands that what we have in Christ is a story. And it's not just any story. It's news, and it's not just any news. It's good news. It's the greatest news. And they're so compelled, so driven to share this with those who don't know, who haven't heard, that they can't help but express it, to tell it. They're storytellers. It just comes out of them. They just can't hold back. And as a result, they draw people in to the community and to the kingdom movement. Last week, we looked at the pastor, the shepherd, those who nurture as the apostles are blazing new territory, as the prophets are attentive to what God is saying, as the evangelists are recruiting those who are not even yet part of our community, the pastor is keeping the pulse beat on the community as it exists right now, making sure that no one is unnecessarily left behind, that everyone is moving together, that everyone is moving forward, that everyone is cared for, that everyone is accountable to each other and together that we're accountable to God. And that brings us today to the teacher to the one who cultivates learning. <coughs> the teaching role has the distinction of all the other roles of being universally accepted within the history of the church, without debate. And this is common sense, because if you think about it, without teachers, 
we wouldn't even know the word or God himself. We would all be in darkness. We recognize our need for the role of a teacher. But what I want to suggest to you this morning to open us up, to make us aware of what God has for us, is that this can also be a disadvantage for us. Our familiarity, our reliance upon teaching, our recognition that it's just a necessary part of life, that reliance and familiarity can diminish our perspective as to what good teaching is, what defines good teaching, and what makes for an effective teacher. And that's why God's word is important for shaping our understanding of the role of a teacher. To begin with, in a broad sense, in a secular way, not even addressing it in terms of the gospel, teaching is about instruction, learning, and knowledge. Instruction, learning, and knowledge. But the thing is, so important at the outset we understand about the role of teaching is that teaching is an ongoing need in life, in the church, in the kingdom. We never exhaust our need for good, solid teaching. We never arrive. We never quit learning. And this is an important word. It may seem like an obvious one because there are more and more people that we encounter in our lives who stop, who believe they've either reached their capacity, they can't learn anything else, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, or they believe that they have a degree or they've reached a, pla a platform where they have all the knowledge that they need. But the very first thing we have to understand is that we never quit learning. And good teachers, those who fill the teacher role, understand this first and foremost. They model the practice of lifelong learning. To put this another way, education with a degree shouldn't be terminal. It should be a starting point. Some of you here today are about to graduate high school. Some of you here today are going to graduate college. Some of you may be even higher than that. And it wouldn't be unusual if you were thinking, I'm done. Nope, you're just getting started. The degree is only the beginning. A bachelor's, a high school diploma, a master's degree, even a PhD. And a PhD in our society is often sort of the benchmark. I've become a doctor, therefore I have arrived. A high school diploma, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and a PhD are only as good as the proper and healthy exercise of that education in the real world. Otherwise, they're just pieces of paper. Teachers understand that. That it's more than just the paper. It's more than just the grades or the transcript. But teachers understand that education can happen without a degree. Some of you may be here today and you never got your high school diploma. Maybe you never went to college. Maybe you didn't go any farther than your bachelor's degree. And there's oftentimes sort of this stigma within our society that if you don't have those things, you have less education. That somehow that's a stopgap, that you can't, that's a, 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 a hindrance to your learning. But the reality is teachers also understand that education can happen without a degree. Teachers understand that education is sometimes the best teacher. And it's that tension that teachers are, that sit in, the middle of, sit in the middle of. On the one hand, teachers recognize the benefit of experience, that experience is the best teacher. But teachers also validate the meaningful place for a formal education. Some of us may not have had the opportunity, but I, also, I definitely know that there's also a current within our culture at times to sort of poo-poo getting a degree. I know when I went to seminary, for example, a lot of people were praying for me when I said I was going to go to seminary. Because you know what they call seminary, right? Cemetery. You're going to lose your faith. You're going to lose your faith. You're going to come out and you're not going to be a Christian anymore. Think about that for a second. You're not going to be a believer in Christ anymore. And this isn't just 
theological education. Sometimes, you know, I know I hear parents who are all about, oh, we've got to be careful of the college, the liberal agenda that they're going to pour upon our kids. And that's a valid concern. Absolutely. But at the same time, and, 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 and this is a, another element of it, is sometimes we want to look for formal education for places that are going to teach us what we want to learn or how we want to learn. And there's a validity for that, but there's, teachers also understand that there is something meaningful and valid and necessary about a formal education that is rigorous in testing us, stretching us, disorienting us even, making us prove ourselves within a community of mentors and peers. We don't learn by going to a place where everyone's like us. We don't learn by going to a place where they tell us what we already know or what we want to hear. We learn by having our ideas, our understanding, our beliefs tested. And teachers understand that's the benefit of a formal education, not more money that you can make, not because now you have more access to better jobs. Teachers recognize that street smarts are not better than the lessons learned in the classroom. They're just different. We need both. And good teachers get that. And along that line, as we think about a teacher, one of the stereotypes we also have for a teacher, which is going to be ironic given how I'm doing this today, is that teachers are not just about disseminating or transferring information. A lot of times when we think of a teacher, that's what we think that it's about, about giving information to people. And we need to get out of our minds the stereotypical view of someone standing up and lecturing as that being teaching. Because properly understood, a teacher is about holding forth truth. A teacher holds forth truth. A teacher is so excited to discover truth that when they grasp it, they hold it up because they want to bring that light to others. And teachers hold up that truth. They're, they're not just excited to show it to others, but they hold up that truth because they want others to get it, to benefit from that light too. And, and it's in helping others receive that truth that teachers really, their, their real agenda, their real motivation comes through. Teachers don't just want people to receive the truth. Teachers want to provoke others to explore the truth with them. Good teachers understand that learning needs to be integrated with reality. Another way to say this is teachers don't just dispense knowledge. They call and educate people to use discernment and to put knowledge into practice. We live at a time when there's a huge educational debate in our nation and in our country. People demanding, saying there's a great need for educational reform. And this is a valid debate. But again, this biblical understanding of teacher, teaching can help us in the midst of this debate because so many of us are getting caught up in grades and test scores and proficiencies. And I think in the midst of it, in the midst of this educational debate, we're forgetting the most important thing. And I say this both as a teacher, I say this interacting as a student, and I say this as one who teaches students. In all the stuff that we're getting caught up in, the number one thing that we're losing that teaching is about is that teaching is about educating our children how to think. Not just that they know certain standards, but that they know how to use the knowledge that they've been given so that they know how to think, how to engage the world. And not only engage it to defend themselves against the world, but to make the world a better place. And somewhere in the midst of this debate about educational reform, we've gotten so consumed with standards and scores and grades that we've missed the most fundamental thing, which is, again, engaging and teaching our students in whatever place they might be in life to think, to engage the truth, to wrestle with it. 
And that's why, in this sense, for me, teachers are integrators, integrating knowledge with practice. Teachers are commentators. Good teachers are like a voice in our head so that when we're out in the world experiencing things, they're almost commenting to us on how to process, how do we engage from what we've learned, what we're experiencing. Teachers are empowerers that give us the courage that we don't have to be afraid of any circumstance that we walk in. That it's not about someone being smarter than us. It's not about how much knowledge you have. It's about how much are you in tune with the knowledge that God has given you and the brain and the intelligence and the wisdom that God has given you. Teachers, another great synonym then would be mentors. I think that's a, a good one for us. Mentors. Teachers are trainers. They don't just seek to impart knowledge. The way that I like to think of it is teachers, tr properly understood, don't seek to impart knowledge as much as they seek to cultivate wisdom. Wisdom. For me, the legacy of a good teacher is one where his or her students remember the lessons they've learned so well that they're able to continue to teach themselves. And they have the ability to model and pass on that truth to others. That's good teaching. Now, in the past when I've done this, uh, the different roles, I've flashed on the screen examples of secular examples for each of the roles. And I could do that for the teacher, but I think that a more powerful image for you right now, rather than anybody I could throw on the screen, is for you to picture in your mind teachers who've had a profound effect on your life. So on the PowerPoint that's in your head, and for those of you who are daydreaming, we're back. Picture the teachers that have had an impact upon your life. See their faces. Remember their lessons. For me, I think of a couple of people. And again, I don't have their pictures to show you. But Mr. Atterbury in high school. Mr. Atterbury, who was a history teacher, who made history come alive for me. Who made me realize that history is more than facts and figures. That history is more than just looking back in the past. But history is about realizing that we continue to relive history in our present. I think of, at UCLA, Dr. Gregory, an amazing professor of communications. I was a communication studies major, and I had a love for words, and I thought I was pretty good with words. She taught me the lyrical quality of words, not just in songs, but in how we speak and how we put together words. And I'm ever grateful for her for that. At Fuller, Dr. Thompson, one, a professor who is still a friend in my life, who helped me to understand that my life is not just about understanding the scriptures but that, that's an incomplete journey if I don't understand it in, in conjunction with how the history of the church has understood the scriptures, that I'm part of a communal dialogue, a larger dialogue, that there aren't things that we're facing now that haven't been part of a conversation or part of the debate or part of the shock and scandal of the church before. And he imparted for me that understanding that I need to engage the scriptures with the other voices, the other Christians who have gone before me. And Dr. Ray Anderson, who was a part of our community, Another person that comes to my mind, who I always heard, and I always believed, and I always said that Jesus should be at the center of our lives, as we like to sing. But Dr. Ray Anderson embodied for me, he taught me how to live my life where Jesus was the center of everything. Not just when I preached a sermon, not just when I prayed for someone else, but in every aspect of my life, how to have Christ at the center, in my thinking, in my reacting, in my processing. Now, as you're picturing people, you may be picturing teachers like I have in the classroom, but the role of a teacher goes beyond a classroom. And maybe you're picturing in your mind, as I can too, there are people outside of the normal classroom who also can be teachers in our lives. What comes to my mind is a man named Mr. Ward. I was in high school. I worked at a movie theater. That's how I got started to where I ended up before I became a pastor. And Mr. Ward took a 16-year-old kid 
under his wing and he didn't just make the, work, the job fun. He taught me not only how to run a business, but he taught me that the most important business, the more important business, which maybe led to something later as I shared last week, the most important business is not the dollars and cents, but it's how you treat the customers and how you treat the people, that that's the more important business and that the profits that come from that are way more impacting than tickets that are sold or popcorn. Or I think about someone who's here right now who has no idea I'm about to say this. He's right there, Dr. Brad Hess. He has been a profound influence in my life. He is someone I look at as a teacher. Brad has impacted me to understand my, better understand myself. And in the midst, his, his teaching to me has te taught me how to be vulnerable, taught me how to be transparent, taught me that I can't teach others, I can't give away what I don't have. And unless I wrestle with who I am in Christ, I can't come alongside others and help them to see who they are in Christ. And I'm profoundly grateful for that. Who do you picture right now? Who are the teachers that come to your mind? Do you notice the trend in what I just did? That you know the teachers that stand out, how you can almost summarize their lessons. As you describe them, you can almost summarize their lessons. That's the mark of a good teacher. Before we move off of this, I mean, I, I can't not miss this opportunity. God's providence, again, I can't think of a more perfect, perfect role to focus on today than that of a teacher as we celebrate Mother's Day. I mean, is not one of the most common ways that we think of motherhood, that we understood, understand mothers as our teachers? I mean, whether it's our biological mothers, our adoptive mothers, our spiritual mothers in our lives, how much of what we know, how much of what we do, how much of what we see about the world has been shaped by our mothers? And if you're not conscious of this, next time you're with your spouse or with your friends and all of a sudden they go, why are you doing that? Or why are you saying that? And they're like, well, you just go because I, I am. That's what you're supposed to do. And they go, well, why is it what you're supposed to do? Because that's what my mother taought me. And in that moment that you say, that's what my mother taught me, somewhere your mother's going. <laughs> so today as we give praise God, to God for the mothers in our midst, biological, adoptive or spiritual, let's particularly be thankful for their role as teachers in our lives. But let's get to scripture. Teacher is a title used for Jesus in the Gospels. We know this. In John, this Gospel makes it clear that the Greek word that we translate as teacher is sometimes and more often in the Gospels is translated as rabbi. And this is helpful, a helpful framework because the teaching done by rabbis and scribes during the time of Jesus involved more than just interpreting the Bible, the Torah, the law. The rabbis and the scribes, for them, teaching was about embodying the law, the Torah. It was about inhabiting the scriptures. When we read those psalms that talk about meditating on the word of God, rabbis and scribes understood that good teaching was chewing on the word of God as if it were air, like it was water, like it was food, because it was life. And that's why the rabbis and scribes of Jesus' day not only knew the Torah, they didn't just memorize the Torah, but they also were well-versed in the body of commentary. They were well-versed. They were steeped in the communal dialogue amongst all the other rabbis. And that's why when you read the Gospels, you hear Jesus, and if you ever wonder why he does this, he'll say when he teaches, you have heard it said. And he's not just saying, well, that's just kind of what's out there. He's referencing a communal dialogue about wrestling with the, the word of God. You have heard it said. That teaching is part of living in the word, not just knowing it, but living in it. The teacher communicates and interprets the meaning of scripture and tradition through how they live. And that's why when you followed a rabbi, you didn't just listen to them, you lived like them because they were modeling for you how to live God's word. 
And this is the same function that Paul is referring to here in Ephesians 4 when he mentions the role of a teacher. And in particular, you'll notice that one of the constant threats, we've talked about this, that Paul mentions to the body of Christ, why we need all five roles, but the teacher is even more applicable, is that we often, not just back then, but even now, are victim in the church as the body to the infection of getting manipulated or led astray by spiritual fads or theological half-truths. Paul puts it this way, tossed about by every whim of false doctrine. And this is a, a rally cry of why the role of teacher is so important in the church, but also how we understand that role is so important. Because not just then, but now, we are struggling with this same crisis in the church. I say to you as your pastor, I don't think it's an unfixable problem, but it's, a, it's definitely the state of the church today. We exist in a church where the body of Christ as a whole lacks discernment. That is my, my word to you today as a pastor. I encounter more and more biblical illiteracy than I do literacy. I encounter more and more people who have a Bible but don't know what it says, don't know how to read it, and don't read it. That's a problem. I encounter more and more people, as I said, who are older. Not talking children. I'm talking 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old who are at an older age but still operate out of a Sunday school faith. The content of what they understand that all of this is about is what they learned in Sunday school. And that's awesome when you're a kid, but if that's all you have at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 to show for it, something's wrong. We live more and more, and this is one of the tensions where we, you know, one of the things that makes dinner conversation uncomfortable at church. We live more and more with an ahistorical perspective. This is the tension of the older generation and the younger generation. Many of you are a part of this church and you don't know our past. You don't care about our past. You don't think it's relevant where we've come from. Why do we have the traditions that we do? All you think is it doesn't work for me and it's boring. And because it doesn't work for you and it's boring means it's not valid. And as a result of being ahistorical, no sense of history in the church, you think that the conversations that we're having in the, in the, as the church today, you think the way we're embracing the issues of our day, you think the way we understand the Bible today is something that we're just figuring out for the first time. No reliance that this has been a conversation that's been ongoing. No reliance on the wisdom of those who've come before us. We wipe them away and say, oh, they don't understand. They're not relevant to where we are. That's a pretty gutsy thing to say. We exist where, and this is, kind of bring this all together, where, and, and maybe this is you, maybe it's not, where more and more within the church, I find a growing tendency among people, among Christians, and they see no problem with this whatsoever, to basically create their own personal belief system. It's what I call smorgasbord theology. Well, this is what Christ teaches. This is what the Bible teaches. Oh, I like that. I'll put some of that on my plate. Oh, I don't like that. That won't agree with me, so I'm going to leave that there. Down, oh, no, I don't like that. Ooh, I like that. And then the plate that we have is, this is how God works for me. This is who Jesus is to me. Think about that for a second. And then we wonder, why are we not unified when we all basically say, hey, no one tells me what I have to eat. I get to put what I want on my own plate. We need to understand the role of the teacher and to celebrate it and to protect it in the church. Because... Even though the Lord's raised up all five roles so that we would grow into the fullness of Christ, one of the main roles of the teacher as a base ministry or for us in a phase is to teach the word of God in a way that we encourage understanding, but also that we give the body of Christ the ability to divide truth from error or deception. 
Teachers in the spirit of Christ bring the light of truth in such a way that they not only illuminate the path before us, but they also give us the guidance so rubber, the rubber can actually meet the road. They create an environment where they encourage us all to immerse ourselves in the scriptures so that we're formed by them. They shed light on the text in such a way. Teachers teach in such a way that we actually hear the voice of God speaking through Scripture. We've talked about this over the last year, and we're not alone in this. But again, how many people say they've never heard God speak in their lives? How many people say they've never heard the voice of God speak? Could it possibly be because we have not properly understood the role of teacher? Teachers in their teaching help us to hear God, that God is still speaking through his word and by his spirit. They create in us a hunger for the word. Those of us who have Bibles, but we don't really feel inclined to read them or we don't know how, good teaching gives us a hunger for the word. It inspires a devotion in us not to read out of obligation, but out of a sense of discovery. And we want to not just discover God's word, but teachers also help us to realize that God's word is meant to be integrated, that we're literally going to be shaped, reshaped by this story. And that's why teachers, biblical teachers, don't just give us knowledge, but they model a lifestyle of dependence upon Christ. They model for us, they show us through how they live, how to discern God's will. They model for us how to guide others toward wisdom. And they help the community live faithfully so that together we reflect a lifestyle of Christ that's transferable that's able to be copied. Why is there no discipleship in the church? Because we've lost our understanding of the role of teaching. Why are there not our believers instead of followers? Because we think that this whole faith is about knowledge, that giving you content, teaching you doctrine, and that's only half of it. Discipleship is about opening up our lives, showing you how Christ is at work in my life so that you will learn the truths of the faith through seeing them as I wrestle with them, as Christ is forming and shaping me. And through that time of following me, living as I do, the parts where Christ is at work in my life, you come to a place where now you are able to go and do likewise. To teach by not how much knowledge you have, but how much are you yielding and allowing Christ to shape your life. Teachers help people to understand God's story so that they might live faithfully in God's story and become signposts of the new creation. Another way to think of this, and I don't know if you've had this model of teaching, teachers love to break down difficult chunks, chunks of Scripture. There's lots of things in here that's hard to read. Teachers love to break down difficult, difficult parts of Scripture. They love to take apart difficult parts of doctrine, parts of our belief as the church, not for information's sake. Good teachers don't want to take on difficult parts of scripture or doctrine so you can go, wow, you're so smart, you're so cool, I could never explain that the way you do. They want to break it down because they want that breaking down of the difficult parts of scripture, the doctrines that we wrestle with, they want to break it down so that that becomes a gateway into a deeper relationship with our Father and his kingdom. That's how Jesus taught. Look at the Gospels. Jesus didn't shy away from any of the tough teaching, but it was always a means of know who your father is. Know the kingdom you're a part of. And the rabbis and scribes got ticked because Jesus wasn't getting into the deeper academic points. And Jesus said, you're missing the forest for the trees. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about all this heady and intellectual stuff. It's about the knowledge that leads us into a relationship with our father and with his kingdom. Let those who hear... Understand, Jesus is a great example. Peter is a great example in the early church of a teacher. Apollos, a convert that we'll talk about next week, is a great example of a teacher. 
But to appreciate the role of a biblical teacher, a teacher biblically formed even out in the world, let's briefly talk about an immature, inexperienced teacher. We've kind of alluded a little bit. What makes for immature or inexperienced teaching? The first is, and I may be guilty of this, I'm not perfect at times, is that teaching is immature or inexperienced. That role is immature or inexperienced if we are too theoretical and abstract. When teaching is about knowledge for knowledge's sake, that's teaching gone bad. Without the other four roles, prophet, apostle, evangelist, pastor, teachers can often fall into dogmatism. They can often get into dry intellectualism. They can kind of miss the, the personal and missional aspects of the body. And that's why in the midst of some of the cultural debates we're having right now, you know, I love, I, one of the things that disturbs me is we basically want, there's a whole contingent that wants to say, well, we need to just stick to the people who are taking the, you know, the, 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 the intellectual argument. The intellectual argument who are really wrestling with the scholarship of Scripture. Amen. But the scholarship of Scripture cannot be divorced from what I call the spirit of the law. And that's the other hazard of immature and inexperienced teaching. Teaching is not about legalism. There's been a lot of conversation in the body of Christ or where are the modern-day Pharisees in the church? And don't kid yourselves, there are modern-day Pharisees in the church. Because the Pharisees fall, fell victim to understanding the letter of the law, but holding on so strongly to the letter of the law. This is what it says, this is all that it says, therefore this is what it means that they miss the spirit of the law. Do not miss that truth of Jesus' teaching. And understand that Pharisees, then and now, just so we don't give them a bad rap, they're dutiful, they're well-intentioned, they have the right motivations. They want to be faithful to God's word, but where legalism comes in, where the letter of the law chokes us, is where somehow we believe that we are going to fully understand this end of sentence period before Jesus comes back. Where we get into trouble is where all of a sudden, with the best of intentions, God's word's under attack. People are abusing God's word. We've got to stand up for the truth of God's word. We've got to proclaim God's word as it really is. Amen. By all means. But you know how scripture tells us to defend the truth of God's word? By speaking the truth in love. Translation, we defend the truth of God's word by our witness. Not by our intellectual arguments. Not by our ability to debate. Not by beating over the head with the people with the Bible and saying, well, I don't care about your NIV, but my King James has got it right. This is important we hear this. Legalism exists in the church today because what we what the mistake that we make is that we fail to realize that God reveals his word to everyone and everyone contributes to the conversation. Bad teaching, immature, inexperienced teaching makes a big mistake, well-intentioned. It operates not out of a place of sharing God's word, but of controlling God's word. And I don't care who your teacher is, your favorite teacher is. They have gone wrong. They have gone bad if they understand that their authority comes from their position. The authority of a teacher, biblically, does not come from their position. It comes from the truth of God's word. Beloved, we've seen what happens. We see it now. When we, out of the best of intentions to defend God, and just as a side note, God doesn't need us to defend him. He's done a pretty good job of taking care of himself. But when we feel the need to defend God, when we feel with the best of intentions that we have to control the truth, when we then therefore think we have a monopoly on the truth, that leads us to judgment. And in the midst of defending this word, we forget one of the most sacred aspects of this word that Jesus does not shy away from talking about. That judgment does not belong to us. Judgment belongs to the Lord.
We need to hear that. The best way to defend the truth of God's word, the best way to point to the truth of God's word is the witness of one's life. Not from the scriptures that you can memorize and throw in someone's face. Another way to, just final way to say this is what I've found in my own walk where I can be tempted in this way is sometimes as teachers, and it's a sign of immaturity or inexperience, in our desire to know the truth. And as a teacher, I want to know the truth. And in that desire to know the truth, I want to make it known. I want others to know the truth. Oftentimes when I feel like people are wrong, I want to show them the light. But sometimes we can get so fixated on desiring to know the truth and share it that we can actually put our study above our practice. I have found myself finding lots more scriptures that support the argument that I want to make, but I find less support in how I live my life as I'm pointing to truth. Another way to say this is that as a teacher, the difference between maturity and immaturity, experience and inexperience, is immature and inexperienced teachers seek to master the text instead of allowing the text to master them. Karl Barth, who was an amazing teacher in my estimation, once said, long before we interpret Scripture, you better make sure you realize that Scripture is interpreting you. One last comment on immature and inexperienced teachers. One other thing that's also rampant, has been and still is and will be until Christ returns, is teaching that is about style without substance. We exist at a time in the information age where we can get information anywhere we want it. We can get so much information, we have information overload. And so what we've done is we've actually begun to define good teaching. We've confused good teaching with good entertainment. We have more and more teachers who are personality driven. We have more and more, we don't even realize it. Well, if it tweets well and everybody's talking it on Facebook, it must be true. Says who? When did that become the benchmark for truth? Truth is not trendy. Every so often something that's trendy may be truthful, but just because something's trendy doesn't mean it's true. And yet much of our teaching comes from style rather than substance. We need to remember the adage that a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. The fact that we have the power to express ourselves, that we have freedom of speech in this country, is anybody else noticing the fact that while I don't want anybody's speech to be quashed, we have a lot of people, just because they have the right to speak, who act like they're speaking intelligently and they don't know what the heck they're talking about. And yet we're all just embracing it as, well, they said it, it's on the, it's like that commercial, well, if it's on the internet, it has to be true. <laughs> Beloved, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. And the proper understanding of the teaching role understands that a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. We need to continue to be lifelong in our pursuit of knowledge. So I want to say to you, as you engage teaching, both in the church and outside of it, just because someone's funny... Just because someone's provocative, and let me tell you in the church, I'm getting sick of this, how many people I see who we're confusing good teaching with being provocative. And just because they're sincere, just because they seem really sincere, that doesn't mean they're teaching you. They're entertaining you, but that doesn't mean they're teaching you. A great intellect even, it does not equal great wisdom. Good, healthy teaching leads us not back to the teacher, not back to the vehicle, but it leads us to the Bible. It leads us to Jesus, to encounter him one-on-one. -on -one. So let me say to my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, please, part of teaching helps you to learn that content matters. Teachers ought to bring a, a message that good teaching doesn't bring confusion and discord. That's been my big hazard as a pastor. When I come and preach, the word of God 
can has, has a different, different effect on different people. But let me just explain the difference. And this is where I can fall into this trap too. If, what I understood a long, a long time ago is that it is not my job. It is not my job to convict you, to stir you, to unsettle you, to inspire you, to encourage you. That is not my job. My job is to faithfully proclaim the word of God as God has given it to me. God is the one who stirs. God is the one who unsettles. God is the one who convicts. If I come in and that's my agenda, then I am getting in the way of the truth of God's word. But if I step away from that and then you come to me and say, hey, I really was encouraged by that. Or, hey, you really ticked me off. I have the ability to go, good teaching does a lot of this biblically. If it comes from the right place. The balance of teaching is information that revelation received from the Father through study, the transformation, that knowledge becomes practical. It's not just in the head, but it affects the heart of the community. It affects how relationships are lived out, and it leads to integration, where it doesn't just transform the community, but it leads that knowledge is put into practice. We actually take that truth out into the world beyond the walls of the church. That's a balance of a teacher. Information, transformation, integration. I had a, some examples that I was going to put up there, but I, there's one contemporary example of good Christian teaching that I want to lift up to you today. Some of you know who he is, some of you don't, and that's Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was a professor of philosophy at USC, a devout Christian, one of the more profound teachers in my life, not just as a Christian, but also in the world, and he passed away this week. Last week, it was announced he had stage four cancer. Within a week, he passed away. Lots of things that I could point to for him, but one book that profoundly shaped me that he wrote was a book called The Divine Conspiracy. Rocked my world. And I want to read to you a part from that book to close to show you, again, embody for you what good teaching looks like, sounds like, and then I want to reflect back to you how it impacted me. In that book, The Divine Conspiracy, he writes this. Buckle up, it's a bit. Jesus never expected us to simply turn the other cheek, go the second mile, Bless those who persecute us. Give unto them that ask, and so forth. These responses, generally and rightly understood to be characteristics of Christ-likeness, were put forth by him as illustrative of what might be expected of a new kind of person. One who intelligently and steadfastly seeks, above all else, to live within the rule of God and be possessed by the kind of righteousness that God himself has as Matthew 6.33 portrays. Instead, Jesus did invite people to follow him into that sort of life, from which behavior, such as loving one's enemy, will seem like the only sensible and happy thing to do. For such a person living that life, the hard thing to do would be to hate the enemy, to turn the supplicant away, to curse the cursor. True Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ comes at the point where it's hard not to respond as he would. All my, my Christian walk, I had, I had understood that I was saved by grace. There was nothing I could do to earn the grace that God had given me to wipe my slate clean, to forgive me of my sins. But maybe you're not like me, maybe you are. But what I struggled with for years is what next? And I felt this tremendous torment. It, was, it wasn't a torment at first, it was an annoyance, but it became a torment of trying to live the way that Jesus did, trying to be like Jesus, because that supposedly is what's supposed to happen. We're going to be like Christ. And my frustration was that I would try to be like Jesus, and I would fail. 
I was trying to do the things that Jesus taught me to do, and I wasn't trying to do them to earn my salvation. I, I knew I was saved by grace, but it was, the way it was expressed to me was, well, could you at least show your gratitude? Could you at least use the gift that you've been given? And so I would torture myself, trying to forgive my enemies, trying to be more generous, and I would fail, and I would fail, and I would miss the mark, and I would think, well, it's a good thing I'm forgiven, because I just really stink at being like Jesus. And I just thought that's how it was. And I just thought at some point someone's going to teach me and I'm going to, the light bulb's going to come on. And it did. It was Dallas Willard for me who made me realize that I was doing it all wrong. That I had gotten it all wrong. That it wasn't even, I'm saved by grace, but I live by grace. It's not that I do these things to, it's not that I'm saving myself, but I don't just do them to try to prove myself to Jesus or show I'm thankful that if I truly understand the grace that I've been given, if I think that I understand, if I want to understand, that I've got to give all my life to Christ. And it's not that I'm going to be able to be like Christ out of my own best effort or my own energy. It's going to, I'm going to be like Christ by allowing him to shape what I think, to be in charge of how I respond, to dictate what I do in every aspect of my life. And that's what he's getting at in this quote. The life that I was living before is the life that he calls the gospel of sin management. Where I'm saved and I come and I'm like, well, how did I do this week? B plus. How did I do this week? D. What's my overall GPA in the kingdom? And all I focused on was how sinful or less sinful I was rather than living out of the grace that I was given in Christ. Beloved, good teachers don't just teach us about the Bible. They don't just teach us how to read and study it. They teach us how to inhabit the Bible, to see ourselves in it, to understand that this story is our story, to live biblically not as a rule, but as a relationship with our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Spirit-driven teachers don't just teach us about Jesus. They don't just teach us how to live like Jesus. Spirit-driven teachers teach us how to follow Jesus, how to be with Jesus. When's the last time you spent time with Jesus? How to let Jesus interpret, shape, and transform our day-to-day -day experiences. Effective, life-changing teachers don't just teach us about the kingdom of God as if it were a destination we're preparing to go later. Effective, life-changing teachers help us to perceive the kingdom as it's right in front of us. To enter into the sacred spaces and rhythms where God is reigning, where the things of heaven are coming to earth, here and now in the place where we're living. Beloved, if teaching is your base ministry, are we teaching about stuff or are we embodying and living out what we're seeking to teach? And if teaching is a phase ministry for you, a place that's a phase for you at some point in your life, when you have that phase where God calls you to enter that role as a teacher, hear this and remember it. When you're called to serve as a teacher in that role, it's not about knowledge. It's not about being as smart as the other person. It's not about having all the answers as it is about being devoted to study, grasping truth and holding it up for others to see. Sharing wisdom from God, it's about others to explore the truth of Jesus Christ with you. That is one of the most powerful names we have for Jesus, the truth. Because when we look to him and submit our lives to him, when we follow him, that's when we learn. Teachers are rooted in Christ. They are grounded in Christ. And they ground others in the truth that is Jesus as well. Amen.